Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 115 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, please check us out at consumerguide.com. While you're there, check out our 2022 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or truck. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun stuff. And, and this is important, you can check up uh, back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. All right, let's see who's online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, uh, and her freelance work can be found all over the internet. Hello, Jill Simonello. Hello, Tom Appel. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I have a little bit of a mea culpa to offer, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to, to show how young I really am, I have no idea who Ricardo Montalban is, apparently. Um, when I did the uh, It's Better to Look Good Than to Feel Good last week, that was Fernando Lamas. Yeah, not good. So, yeah, I, I clearly and, and appropriately did not answer the question correctly because I had no idea. Right. So you don't know who Ricardo Montalban is? Nope. No idea. Okay, that's noted. Uh, Joe, today is a special historic episode of the Car Stuff podcast. We have two guest segments. Ooh, we've never done that before. We've never done that before. In a moment, we're going to introduce Dave Sloan, general manager of the Chicago Auto Show. And then after the first break, we talk with Michelin's Ed Gliss about winter tires. So this is a busy day. Busy, busy. Yes. All okay. right. He's a, he's a senior editor here at Consumer Guide, and he recently completed level nine on Qbert. Hey, Damon Bell. <laughs> is that another reference Is that's too early for Jill? Qbert? Uh, I don't know. Qbert, Jill? Do you know what Qbert is? I think I. Wasn't he like a little jumpy dude on Pyramids? Yes. Yeah. 80s okay. video game. That, I, I'm just. How, Tom, how are you able to forge ahead now that Jill has officially ripped your heart out by not knowing who Khan is on Star Trek? Uh, the, oh, man. Now I'm, I've painted myself into a corner because I can't remember <laughs> the second Star Trek movie that has got to be your favorite movie of all time. Jeez, oh, Wrath of Khan. Wrath, Wrath. I'm like, Revenge, Return? No. <laughs> wrath. Oh. Here oh, I was being man. all clever, and now I've broken your heart as well. I apologize for that. I'm a professional. I can forge on, but yeah, okay. ouch. Okay. It was, just a, it was just a brain fade. I knew what it was. It's just a brain fade. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Our first guest today is the president of the Chicago Automotive Trade Association and general manager of the Chicago Auto Show. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Sloan. Dave, how's it going? It's it's going pretty well, Tom. It's it's hard to come in with a serious interview after listening. <laughs> well, so I'm not sure where this is going to go. I figure a month out of the auto show, you guys have got everything nailed down, and you're pretty much just sitting back uh, cruising online. The the really weird thing is is I have a the uh, McCormick Place contract in front of me that you know should have been signed. Some auto shows have them signed years in advance, and I need to initial it right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. 
that's about as crazy as you get. But our, our friends at McCormick Place are really good about holding on to our dates um, uh, in February. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Chicago Auto Show has been at McCormick Place as long as McCormick Place has existed. So uh, we're probably their best customer. And, and a good customer you are, and we should talk about that because you're back to February, and I think that that, that is the big news here. Yeah, yeah, we're back to February. We're back in the South Building, um, and uh, we are going to be a, a bit of a smaller show. We're not going to be in the North Building this year, but that's where we are in the uh, the tail end of, hopefully, uh, tail end of the pandemic. And, uh, and in the midst of this global inventory shortage, um, and uh, really, it's it's an interesting time to be an auto show producer, and and uh, it, it's funny too because we have some exhibitors who are just coming in with guns blazing. I mean, they are all in. Ford is going to hit. Remember that Bronco track that was so popular outside yeah. in the summer last year? They're bringing that inside. Awesome. And then in addition to that, they're going to have another track right next to it that's going to feature the Mustang Mach-E and the Ford F-150 Lightning and and may even have a Maverick on the track. So um, two test tracks right inside the front door there. How cool is that? That's super cool. So yeah. we, we should talk dates here. February 12th through February 21st, you guys are doing the uh, President's Day thing again, which is cool. Uh, so this is a full yes. schedule, correct? Yes, yes, it is. And we have uh, uh, the first look for charity the evening of uh, February 11th. And uh, that in itself is exciting because we weren't able to do that last year when we had our special edition show in the summer. And uh, and we're bringing that back. And we have a couple of cars that uh, attendees can win, a GMC Yukon Denali and a Buick uh, Enclave Avenir, and I was just over at Haggerty Buick yesterday, and uh, they're both on the showroom floor, <laughs> and they have signs on them saying, "You can't test drive this. You can't buy it because they're they're, <laughs> they're taking up space in this uh, somewhat empty showroom uh, <laughs> until the uh, until the Chicago Auto Show first look for charity. So hopefully it'll sell us a few tickets to have them right there." Yeah, and speaking of speaking of the connection between dealerships and the auto show, uh, Dave, you gave a presentation to our automotive media group just earlier this week, and you mentioned one of the silver linings of this situation that I hadn't thought about. The fact that inventory is so slim on the ground at dealerships right now, you really can't comparison shop much these days. The auto show is going to end up being one of the few places where you can see a, a uh, voluminous selection of new vehicles in one spot. So <laughs> a bit of a That's silver correct. lining. That's correct. It, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for silver linings as I lay awake nights <laughs> not sleeping. And uh, the other part of the inventory shortage is crazy demand. You know, if right. if there wasn't so much demand, uh, the inventory shortage wouldn't be such a big deal. But uh, people want to buy new cars now. They want to look at dealership lots on late model used cars. And demand is just 
is just nuts right now where you, you do hear of people paying over sticker for for cars because that's the going price of cars right now. Um, you know, it, it, dealers sometimes get uh, criticized because they sell cars for over MSRP if they're particularly um, um, in demand. But think about what happens if they don't. Customers buy those cars and then turn around and sell them <laughs> and make $5,000 profit on them or $10,000. It's crazy. So it used to be that just the Ferrari dealers, or, or remember when uh, Ford had the GT coming out, Yeah, um, they, made, they made customers sign that they weren't going to flip them. Um, and I th- Corvette may have been like that. And now, geez, you might have that for a Maverick hybrid, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Ford just announced that they're they're asking that deal for people who purchase the F one fifty Lightning. So right. it's the same situation. Right. And I think they're asking consumers to hold on to their car for at least twelve months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean the way things are right now, they'd still make a killing after twelve months. This was supposed so, to be yeah. a record year for sales, I think. I think that most predictions would have put this year about nineteen million units. Uh, and it came in at 14.8 because there just weren't any cars. So that speaks to that demand. And there's a 5 million unit or 4 million unit gap in how many cars were needed last year. So, yeah, if you want to see every car that's available out there, you probably got to go to the auto show. Right, right. And there's a lot of, of new things that are out there. Um, you know, that's what we talked about in the summer. All that stuff that came out during the pandemic, you can finally see it in person. And so there's a few more of those, and um, and then things that aren't going to be coming for a couple of years. Uh, you know, you, you see fewer and fewer concept vehicles, but right. uh, but but you know, with the uh, Chevrolet just uh, showing the uh, Silverado uh, E, I don't know if it's Silverado E or EV, but uh, EV, I think I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I heard from someone from the GM. They're going to call it Silverado E, so they may have oh. not figured it out yet. But that might be um, uh, yeah, so so anyway, that like to see that car in person, uh, and it's not going to be available until late next year. Um, but uh, sounded like the order bank uh, that one closed pretty quickly on the the initial uh, order bank that they had because it was so popular when it was unveiled. So. A lot, lot of exciting stuff going on right now. So I, I started to talk about the uh, the test tracks. Toyota is going to have their new Tundra on a test track. Cool. And um, uh, Jeep will be back with their uh, uh, Camp Jeep a test track, which is a uh, Chicago Auto Show fan favorite. It's been Always there since popular, 2000, yeah. 2005, I want to say, and people still run back at the start of the show to get in line for that. And then Ram truck territory, show off the Ram. So think about that. The Ram truck track will be head-to-head with the Toyota Tundra track. <laughs> and then the, the Jeep, uh, Camp Jeep, uh, going up against the uh, Bronco track. It's going to be really fun. And I, I don't know whether you saw it last year uh, at our summer show when the Bronco track was first unveiled. Even the... Um, Marketing executives from Ford and Jeep were kind of going back and forth in the media about whose whose test track was better. It was a lot of fun. 
This is completely off topic, Dave, but I want to talk about the summer show for a moment. Do you know what the best thing about the summer show was? And the cars were great and the venue was great, but there was something that was even greater. <laughs> the uh, uh, Flaming Hot Cheetos Burger? You were so close. It, I know. I'm like, I know what he's going to say. Go. The <laughs> Connie's breakfast pizza. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, um, I can hook you up. <laughs> oh man. So Dave, uh, let's talk COVID for just a moment. What do you guys have to do, or what do people have to do to uh, to, to visit the show COVID wise? So think about the mayor's. Uh, order that came out just before Christmas, and um, and what she was trying to do was keep things open and and not limit attendance in bars and restaurants and uh, health clubs, some of the places where uh, they were most concerned about COVID spread, and so they made those uh, uh, establishments like a. Um, or they made it so that you had to show uh, vaccine proof to get in. And um, and so First Look for Charity, with all the food and drink that we have available at First Look, will be like a restaurant. And so we will require vaccine proof to get into First Look. Um, and uh, tickets are on sale uh, on the website if, you, if you're interested. And then for the public show, uh, what we want to do is... Um, we're going to have a couple of restaurants on the show floor, food courts, think of them as, and, um, and Connie's will be in there, uh, Tom. <laughs> uh, but, I'm going. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but you'll need to show vaccine proof to get into that food court, but you won't have to show vaccine proof to get into the show. So okay. getting into the show would be like going to Target or Home Depot uh, where you don't have to uh, show uh, a proof of vaccine, but to get into those food court areas where people will be taking their masks down and eating, uh, you will have to. And of course, everyone will be required to uh, have a mask on during their uh, attendance at the show. So, I mean, speaking of COVID, um, I, I like to always strategize when I'm, I'm coming to the public show. So I, I like to look at the logistics of the situation. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, how people can buy tickets, because I know it was different last year. And then um, also the test tracks, which are super popular. I, I know that you kind of had a little bit of a different setup for that as well. So I'm wondering, like, are people standing in lines to buy tickets? Are they signing up online? Are they, you know, when you come in, do you go and stand in line for the test track or like how, how is all that working? Because the test tracks are going to be super popular. They're amazing and you should absolutely go do that. So I'm just trying to figure out the best way to do that. Sure, sure, sure. So um, first, the ticket sales. Uh, tickets are available online at ChicagoAutoShow.com. And uh, but we will have uh, on-site box offices, unlike okay. the summer where we only sold tickets online. You'll still be able to go up and pay cash or credit card for uh, a good old paper ticket and, uh, and take it over to the, uh, to the door and, uh, and get into the show. And, um, and there, you know, it, it was funny. Uh, we offered to the manufacturers last year the opportunity to do online uh, sign-ups for the, uh, 
for the test drives and nobody took us up on it. So oh. they like the opportunity to have people in their display and uh, and waiting in line. And, and they'll all be careful about spacing and so on. And of course, the masking will help with that, too. But uh, yeah, nobody took us up on having uh, an area where people could uh, sign up for test drives at a certain time. So um, it's it's part of the uh, part of the gamesmanship to have people <laughs> in their displays, and uh, that was something Jeeper learned early on that uh, dwell time is kind of an exhibit manager's friend, and they love to have people in their display and they talk to them while they're waiting in line, and of course watching what a Jeep can do is almost as fun as experiencing it. I mean, that's true. There are some cool cool things to see. Uh, and uh, and certainly you want to see what the what the Bronco looks like going up the hill too. So, and I, I think that F one fifty Lightning is going to be very popular on the on the track as well. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So, so in terms of strategy, go early and and you know hit the, hit the tracks early. I, that's always my strategy, at least, is go and the first thing I do is do all the test tracks, then I cover the floor. Go on Tuesday. It's always oh. good to go on Tuesday if you don't like to wait in line. That's a that's a light attendance day. Oh, there's um, a pro tip. <laughs> that is go. a pro there tip. I like that. I'm, I'm I'll be tweeting <laughs> and, that. <laughs> and believe it or not, believe it or not, evenings uh, tend to be less crowded than mornings. Um, it used to be that the Chicago Auto Show was open at 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day. It, doesn't that sound odd? And yeah. uh, and and now it's 10 to 10, and uh, we could probably go 9 to 9. People are, are more morning people than they used to be, but 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, but the last one when we close at 8. Well, Dave, we are excited about the Chicago Auto Show. We thank you for spending time with us. Anything else people need to know real quick? Uh, no, we're just really excited to be bringing it back to February, and uh, we hope to see you down there. Check out ChicagoAutoShow.com for everything you need. And, and should anything change with the entrance requirements, you'll be able to find it on ChicagoAutoShow.com. But I think we're where we're going to be, so, um, so that's important. All right, sounds good. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right, that is the Chicago Auto Show running February 12th through February 21st, 10 to 10 daily, except for the last day that's 10 to 8. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we talk to Ed Gliss of Michelin. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Darn glad you're sticking around with us today. All right, this is the part of the show when I strongly suggest you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today has an intriguing job title. He is the senior subjective test driver for Michelin. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Ed Gliss. Hello, Ed. Hey, Tom. Thanks for letting me join. Oh, thanks for joining us today. Ed, you got to talk to us about your job title. What does a senior subjective test driver do? Yeah, you're right. I've got a pretty good uh, job title. <laughs> it steals the show when I uh, meet people at parties and whatnot. Um, but essentially, I've 
I've got the luxury of, uh, you know, using a car as my tool, as my implement to help uh, tire development. And growing up as a car guy, uh, and I've got a mechanical engineering background, so it's really kind of the best of both worlds. I get to be hands-on, get to experience the, our product performance firsthand, and uh, it's really, really engaging and gratifying. Now, we found a video of you on, on YouTube, uh, and you were essentially abusing a Ford Raptor, which looked like all sorts of fun. <laughs> Yeah, abusing. Okay, yeah, it's just good. Uh, good description. <laughs> enjoying. Uh, Let's say yeah. enjoying. Yeah, yeah, using it to its fullest potential for sure. Um, <laughs> I've had, you know, I've, I've been a test driver for eight years now, so I've had lots of really exciting opportunities, uh, both here in the states and and numerous other countries. I've been to Brazil, New Zealand, France, Finland. Um, so I've been exposed to lots of unique opportunities and. You know, pretty much always pushing the vehicle and, and tire to the limit and, uh, you know, helping develop our products. So when you're evaluating a tire, Ed, are you, are you early in the process or late in the process? Are you sort of like the finishing guy where you're driving this tire and you're like, this feels a little bit wrong? Or are you really early on in the process? Uh, there's kind of two facets of it. So um, as, a, as a test driver, we're developing tires both specifically for an OE. Um, you know, you, okay. your big car company, we might develop something specifically uh, for a vehicle, like the, the Raptor you mentioned earlier, um, we're the OE fitment for that. So that's uh, kind of one development avenue, and the other is um, the replacement market tires. So when somebody needs to replace the tires that they bought their car on, we're developing that, which is, uh, we need to make sure that it fits multiple different vehicle types, manufacturers, all the different sizes, etc. Um, but in both scenarios, we're uh, an integral part of the development process, starting from the beginning all the way until the point when we decide, hey, this is ready for, for the big show and release it to market. So when an OEM manufacturer comes to you, comes to Michelin and says, uh, make us a tire, why is it they don't go with something off the shelf? What are they looking for? Uh, yeah, this is a, a big rabbit hole, but essentially when you buy a car new, <laughs> The tire on the showroom floor is specific to that car. Um, so it could be a size that is maybe new for the market. I think everyone's kind of realized there's larger and larger rim sizes are becoming more common on, uh, you know, your, your original vehicles. So it might be developing a new size. Um, it's, uh, it's steering feel. It's handling balance. It's, uh, you know, each car has its own proper tire inflation pressure. So whether that tire has been designed to be its best at 32 psi or 36, um, all these are like mini, you know mini tuning levers. Uh, even going towards like electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles, rolling resistance is a target. So you're trying to hit those those marks. Um, but basically, tires are, are custom, and uh, they're a huge tuning lever to really finish off a, a vehicle. Ed, you mentioned electric cars, and, and we brought you here today to talk about winter tires in a moment, but if you could clarify something for me, I'd be very appreciative. Uh, what, what is an electric car tire? Why is an EV tire different than a conventional car tire? Uh, kind of like I mentioned with the, with the customization. So each OE kind of has, I refer to it as their DNA. So they might um, really value the on-center steering feel which is you can, uh, I guess, to wrap your head around, is driving down the highway, the really small steering inputs as you're staying in your lane, um, that, that precision. 
so that could be uh, something to target. And that is, you know, each car has a different size steering wheel and steering ratio. So you can see how it becomes highly customized. Um, generally, like I mentioned earlier, the rolling resistance or the efficiency of the tire, you can understand why that's a priority for an electric vehicle. Sure. Um, and so that, uh, they generally operated a bit of a higher inflation pressure, typically somewhere around 40 PSI, uh, which your standard, um, you know, four-door sedan is going to be, you know, 32, 35. So it just is a bit of a, you know, specialization for the use case. Higher torque demands with the electric motors. Um, yeah, just uh, an exciting forefront of technology. So, Dave, Ed, I'm sorry. Uh, here in Chicago, winter tires are probably present in, forward in a lot of people's minds because we just experienced a very strange winter storm here where everything was covered with ice. Uh, talk to us a little bit about winter tires and tell us exactly what a winter tire is and where in the country people might want to consider them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am currently talking to you from Houghton, Michigan, and I drove through that ice storm in Chicago <laughs> just this past so, weekend. So, so sorry. I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, essentially, a winter tire is just like we've spent a few minutes talking about. It's specialized for the conditions. Uh, the colder temperatures, they're really specialized to really come alive below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, they've got sculpture designs and rubber compounds and science and technology into them that make sure they work in the lower temperatures, even well below freezing. And they're going to give you that traction on wet, icy roads, um, snow, or even slush conditions. So it's really just a specialized approach to give you that you know, traction and control in adverse conditions. So you, you said they kick in around 40 degrees. Does that give you some clue then to the geography? Is it is it sort of like northern Illinois and into Canada where people would might make best use of these tires? Yeah, exactly. You've uh, hit on it right. So really like the northeast and midwest, um, anywhere where you're getting temps consistently below freezing, uh, where you can count on some precipitation, some snowfall, and, and like you mentioned, the sleet or, or uh, you know, freezing rain, uh, is, it's uh, definitely a beneficial, you know, purchase for your vehicle. So a lot of times, um, whenever I talk about winter tires, and I have to say I'm a huge proponent of winter tires, I've been trying to talk my husband into getting them for like, we've been married for seven years, so I've been trying to talk him into getting them for seven years. It hasn't worked yet. It may be an upcoming birthday present. Um, but I, I, I'm a big, a big fan of them, you know, not only because of the compound, you know, that helps to grip the ice and the snow a little bit better, but, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're more pliable. But here's the argument that I hear all the time when I say you need winter tires on your car. And somebody says they cost too much. And um, I, I think that's a myth. And so um, because of, of the wear and tear you get on normal tires versus if you have two sets of tires. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit, like if somebody says to you, well, I'm not getting winter tires because they cost too much. I mean, what, what would be your standard answer to that? Yeah, you bring up a great point. Uh, you know, practically speaking, for your, your average family vehicle, whether it's a sedan or a, a crossover, you're looking at about five to $800 for a set of winter tires. Um, something else conveniently is also a $500 cost, and that's your insurance deductible. So it's <laughs> kind of to put that into perspective. And, of course, um, 
you know, if, if you're dealing with an insurance deductible, there's, of course, risk to yourself or, or someone else. So there's a bit of a moral cost there, too. Um, but even so, yes, it's an, it, it's an extra cost. Uh, but if you're balancing between your all-season tires and the uh, you know the other eight months of the year, and then the winter tires when it's appropriate with those colder temperatures and, and snowfall, uh, each of those tires is going to last longer, um, you know, over your course of ownership. So essentially, whereas you might buy two sets of all-season tires in the same span, maybe you just buy a set of winter tires and switch between the two over the you know your five-year ownership of the vehicle, and. It's great to hear that you're a proponent for the, uh, you know, the, the performance of winter tires because once you've driven on it, not that it lets you drive however you want, it's also the fact that it gives you that extra performance and pocket for the other drivers out there who have not had their, you know, made the right choice. It gives you, a, you know, lets you be a defensive driver and be prepared for the unexpected. Yeah, and I wanted to go a little circle back to something Jill mentioned earlier about the compounds of winter tires versus all seasons or summer tires. I was looking at the uh, winter tire uh, frequently asked questions part of your website, and there's a great analogy there that I would like you to expand upon, and that is the rubber compound in your tires can be compared to chewing gum. So can you expound on that a bit? <laughs> yeah. Um, like I started to mention earlier, you know, tires are grouped into essentially summer, all season, and winter. And each of those rubber compounds is specialized to work in um, either a, a more specific temperature range or a very broad range. Uh, and essentially, like, if you were to try and understand it, in these colder temperatures, uh, a summer tire would become very rigid, the rubber would become very stiff, and then not provide very much traction. Uh, whereas the all-season tire is still good until you get to the really, really cold temperatures below you know, zero degrees Fahrenheit. And then uh, the winter tire is going to give you a much even further working range into the really sub-zero temperatures. Mm -hmm. So, Ed, I've got a question for you. Um, a lot of people who know me, you and I just met today, so you don't know this, but uh, <laughs> I'm very lazy. And, and to that point, why can't I just leave my winter tires on year-round? I mean, it'd be good job security for me. Uh, but no, <laughs> realistically, uh, just like we talked about, so the, the performance of the winter tires targeted for the cooler temperatures um, it's not to say it would be unsafe if you left it on, um, but just you'd be sacrificing some performance. Some of that would be uh, just in the longevity of the tire. Uh, you'd be essentially using it outside of its intended working range, so you could expect some elevated wear uh, rates versus what, what uh, you should. And, and quickly, too, can you talk a little bit about the difference between winter tires and all-season tires? Yeah, I like to describe the all-season tire as sort of the jack-of-all-trades and master of none. And while it's very good at wearing all the different hats to work in the summer, the spring, and also the winter seasons, uh, it's never going to surpass the level of a proper summer tire in the summer or that of a uh, you know a, a true winter Nordic tire in uh, you know in in the winter seasons. Um, and some of that comes down to 
just essentially the rubber compounds that we've talked about. Um, there's different things you can do with the sculpture design to kind of, uh, you'll probably notice like the Michelin XI Snow has a, a directional tread pattern, which is, uh, you know, beneficial for that winter traction. So a couple of different trade-offs and just uh, basically wearing multiple hats. Ed, we're running out of time here, but if you can, tell us about the Michelin products in the winter tire pro category. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like I, I just alluded to, the, the X-Ice Snow has uh, been in the market for about a year. And I uh, it, just uh, took note this morning, we've got 119 sizes in that tire, which is amazing, uh, which gives like 93% of market coverage. Which 119. Cool wow. <laughs> You've mentioned, uh, you know, trying to justify the purchase of a second set of tires. What's cool is the XI Snow actually carries a 40,000-mile warranty, which is, uh, you know, neat to know that our winter product also will have a mileage warranty. Um, another one of interest is probably the Cross Climate 2, and that's really been released, uh, again, about a year ago. And it's great for the person who lives maybe just outside of these severe winter regions and wants an all-season tire that is excellent in winter conditions. We talked a little bit about um, being severe snow rated and a tire that has that, it's a, it's a, a mountain uh, with a snowflake on the sidewall of a tire. Uh-huh. And that's something where it has to pass a machine test in order to get that. So if you're trying to look into a, a winter tire and how to purchase it, it's got the three peak three peak mountain snowflake on the sidewall and that's not something that a manufacturer can you know just choose to put on there they've got to pass the test the regulatory test to do so if you got the stamp you're legit (laughs) exactly yeah and so the xi snow and of course the cross climate too both carry those and are great options for for somebody living in these wintry climates So, Ed, I think we're, we're almost out of time here, but I got one more question for you that I'm curious about. You mentioned that you had the opportunity to drive uh, various countries. Of all the places you've driven and done testing, which country has the best roads? By and large, uh, our testing is done on, you know, proving grounds, so non-public roads. Okay. Uh, I, with that being said, New Zealand was gorgeous because everything was through oh. the mountain passes. Um, and so that was a really, really pleasant experience. Just the, the country as a whole was worth the, uh, 20 some odd hours of flying there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And Ed, where can we go online to find out more about Michelin and Michelin winter tires? Uh, Michelinman.com is a great reference. It's got lots of information about... Uh, our various products and frequently asked questions and uh, just good information about tire maintenance and how to protect yourself and prepare yourself for the for the conditions sounds good ed thank you so much for joining us today yeah i appreciate the invite tom it was a pleasure all right that is ed gliss with michelin check them out at michelinman.com check out their winter tire section we're going to take a break and when we come back it's quiz time stick around Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around today. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. Hey, Jill, how can people best keep track of your social media, social media activity? 
<laughs> social media. Uh, you know, I, I am on Twitter. I'm, I am on Instagram. I'm mumbling a lot today, and I apologize. You, <laughs> you, you are that. Well, you know, you've already explained that you're not highly caffeinated. So I get yep. it. I get it. I'm drinking decaf right now myself. So I get it. Um, I'm not high, highly caffeinated either. I'm putting the wrong accents on words. Um, but uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. And uh, you can find me at Jill Simonello. So my name, all one word, J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Uh, and then I use the hashtag card du jour um, to kind of talk about the cars that I am driving today. Is, is the car du jour ever French onion soup? Um, no, no, but sometimes it is the color of French onion soup. How's that? I remember when I was a kid, whenever I went to restaurants with my mother or my grandmother, the soup du jour was always French onion soup. Well, we, we could um, create our own um, color branding and we could make the colors the soup of the day. So like French onion soup, split pea. Um, lemon, lemon rice, you know. As much as that sounds like a good idea, I want to call back something I mentioned earlier, and that's that I'm lazy. So I'm not, <laughs> not really sure I'd ever go around and get to that stuff. Damon, you're now tweeting in Morse code. What's that about? Well, I had to use those Zap dingbats. You know, <laughs> you, you hit those. That I, I accidentally hit that button that brings up all those odd characters. I'm like, I really need to utilize these. So. That that's why. That and raises just, a question. You you can't. There's no fonts in Twitter, right? You're just stuck with what you've got, right? Yes, I believe so. Wait, and emojis. You can use emojis. Yes. Yeah. People shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> People should always do that. I no. think limited emojis are fine. By I, limited, if you mean zero, I'm good with no, that. No, I don't mean. I don't mean zero. <laughs> All right, you guys know what time it is, right? Yes. It is quiz time, and today's topic is awesome. Uh, today's is topic is ass? no uh, Chevrolet in Mexico. I hope you're ready. Oh, okay. Hmm. All right. No, no, not ready. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, right? You may never be. Yes. Damon, you start this week. Damon, which of the following is not a Mexican market small car built by Chevy or sold by Chevy? Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. The Chevelle. The Aveo, the Onyx, or the Nuevo Cavalier Turbo? (laughs) One of those is not a Mexico market Chevrolet. Could they have revived the Chevelle name only in Mexico? Oh boy. Please, please read through those again. Sure, the Chevelle, the Aveo, the Onyx, or the Nuevo Cavalier Turbo? The Nuevo Cavalier Turbo seems like the obvious outlier, but that's... It seems oddly specific. (laughs) Uh, Is there an Onyx? Oh my gosh. This is... I know we want to get through this. You've totally stumped me. Um, What was the second one again? The Aveo. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna say the Chevelle. All right, Jill. This question goes to you. One of these is a fake Mexican market Chevy: the Chevelle, the Aveo, the Onyx, or the Nuevo Cavalier Turbo. 
Yeah, I kind of was going through the same reasoning process as Damon because um, the uh, Nuevo Cavalier <laughs> is oddly specific. Um, plus, there's Spanish in there where there is no Spanish anyplace else. Um, oh, good point. But, but the Aveo, I mean, I know we did away with that here for a while ago. Um, Chevelle, like that, that, would they bring it back? Um, name, who knows? Who knows? I feel like Onyx, isn't that like a Buick thing, though? I don't, I don't know about what the Onyx. Like, that doesn't seem like a Chevrolet that thing. My, that was my second guess for what it's worth. Okay, yeah. now you're stalling. Now you're stalling. Okay, 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 okay. Um, Onyx, I'll go with the Onyx. All right. Uh, the correct answer was uh, Chevelle. Ah! Damon's right. on the board. Uh, the Aveo is now imported from China, and it's based on the Chinese market Chevrolet sale. The Onyx is built in Brazil, and the Nuevo Cavalier Turbo is a Chinese Chevy Monza Buick Excel. So there you have it. Damon's on the board with one. Jill, uh, which of the following is not a Mexican market crossover uh, under the Chevy banner? <laughs> the Groove, the Tracker, the Captiva, or the Envoy? So the Groove, the Tracker, the Captiva, or the Envoy? Yes, good memory. Um, sometimes. Um, <laughs> just not for Fernando Lamas or Ricardo Montalban. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Envoy. Envoy, Damon. This question goes to you. One of these is a fake Mexican market Chevy Groove, Tracker, Captiva, or Envoy. It's a toss-up between Groove and Envoy. I think I'm going to agree with Jill and go with Envoy. You both get a point. Because that was a GMC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Tracker is actually a Mexican market track, so we know that vehicle. Captiva mm -hmm. built in China, and the Groove also built in China. A lot of Chinese market vehicles imported by GM from Mexico. So isn't right. Captiva also like the Equinox? I feel it like was. it's similarly sized, yeah. It was, yeah, and I think they use that name longer in Mexico, so for continuity, they're still using it. Got it. It was also right. a Saturn. It was also a Saturn View for a while, I think. It was briefly right, the, sold in America as a fleet special View. Hmm. But yeah, it was. A, yeah, it was. A, it was not available to the public in the U.S. Very strange. Hmm. All right, Damon. Which of the following is not a Mexican market pickup truck? The Silverado. <laughs> The Colorado, the Apache, or the Cheyenne? Oh, God. <laughs> Do they not sell the Silverado in Mexico? Oh. Uh, could you read through those again, please? Uh huh. Silverado, Colorado, Apache, or Cheyenne? Um, I'm going to guess. I'm going to. I'm going to. It's a toss-up between Silverado and Apache. I'm going to guess Silverado. Jill, this question goes to you. Fake Chevy pickup. Silverado, Colorado, Apache, or Cheyenne? Um, I don't know why they wouldn't put the Silverado in Mexico, but I could see them putting it in Mexico and changing the name. Uh -huh. um, this might be a fun story for your website. Actually, my and, and by the way, Tim Esterdahl, my boss, would 100% know this answer. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Cheyenne as the fake. Mm -hmm. You're both wrong. <laughs> um, Is it Apache? 
Uh, Apache, Apache's the fake. Here's the interesting oh, thing. Yes. Near as I can tell, because I don't read Spanish, I believe the Cheyenne is a premium version of the Silverado down, down south of the border and is available only as a crew cab. Hmm. I do so, read Spanish, so now I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, really interesting to check that out. Okay, no points awarded. It's still two to one in favor of Damon. Jill, this question goes to you. It's anyone's game. Mm. Jill, which of the following is not a Mexican market uh, commercial vehicle? The Tornado, the Express, the Silverado 3500, this is just a chassis cab, or the Kodiak? Hmm. Um, so what, what was the first one you said again? Tornado. And then the last one was the Kodiak? The Kodiak. Uh, commercial. Commercial. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Tornado. That doesn't sound very business-like to me. All right, Damon, this question goes to you. One of these is a fake uh, Tornado Express Silverado 3500 or Kodiak. <sighs> Kodiak sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, I think I'm going to say that's the fake Kodiak. Damon, you're correct. Kodiak was an old medium-duty GM sold up here in the States. Uh, The Tornado used to be a little two-door pickup, a little unibody two-door pickup, but now it's a small van built by Wu Ling uh, of China. Uh, The Express is like our Express. The Silverado is just a chassis cab. All right. Damon, you've already won this one, but we go on because it's fun. Uh, Damon, Damon, which of the following is not a Mexican market electric vehicle? The Bolt EV or the Bolt EUV? Wow. I I will guess the Bolt EUV. Is not available in Mexico? Yes. Jill, this question goes to you. Which of these is not available in Mexico, the Bolt EV or the Bolt EUV? I'm going to agree. I'm going to say it's the EUV. Not available. You're both Not wrong. Either. That's the only bolt available. In- oh! Weird. Weird. Yeah. All huh. right. So that means there hasn't been a bolt available in Mexico until now, basically. Basically, yeah. Right? Oh. Interesting. Hmm. All right. It's three to one in favor of Damon. Damon, congrats uh-huh. on the first win of 2022. We go on to the bonus question because that's what we do. Uh, Jill, this goes to you first. Jill, invented in 1930, the Twinkie is best known today as an important part of a healthy diet. Pertiquito.com, this squishy tubular confection, is available in a jaw-dropping 17 varieties. Jill, which of the following is not a currently available Twinkie variety? Are you ready? Yeah, as my teeth are now hurting, but go ahead. Twinkies are good. Pumpkin spice, cotton candy, pecan pie, or lemonade stand? And additionally, where are these available? Because I've never seen these. That's what I was just going to ask. Is this in America? I'm like, it has to be China because they have like all the different Kit Kats. Um, uh, Okay, so you said um, pumpkin spice. I have to say that's going to be a real thing because everybody does a PSL. Um, And what were the other? I've never heard it called that and and now I'm in trouble. Seriously? Hashtag PSL. No. Yeah, no, hashtag PSL. Everybody has a PSL. PSL, Um, cotton candy, pecan pie, and lemonade stand. I mean, cotton candy sounds hideous, but so does lemon stand. Pecan pie sounds realistic, though, so I would almost say that's the fake. 
um, because it sounds realistic. Um, but but and I could be totally wrong about PSL because that is totally realistic because everybody has PSL. But I'm gonna go with pecan. You're calling pecan the fake, Damon. Yep. This question goes to you: pumpkin spice, cotton candy, pecan pie, lemonade stand. One is a fake Twinkie. Um, <laughs> I, fake Twinkie. That's I'm just gonna funny. Yes, I'm gonna guess they're all kind of fake, aren't they? They're, not, <laughs> they're all synthetic. Yeah, uh, processed sorry. and horrible so. goo. Uh, On a macro level, yes, they, they are. I think I read that the uh, filling in a Twinkie has a lot in common with, like, spackling. Oh, God. <laughs> sugary spackling. Tasty, oh. tasty spackling. Delicious sugary spackling. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna guess cotton candy. All right. Well, Jill is correct. Pecan pie is the fake Twinkie, <laughs> and it's the one I would want most. Mm-hmm. You also would want the pumpkin spice one. I'm just going to put that out there. No, I don't like pumpkin. Uh, just a fun note, Continental Baking went bankrupt in 2012. Some company bought it and started over. And, and Continental Baking, or not, I'm sorry, it's now Hostess Brands, now also sells Zingers. So my youth is a little messed up now. Oh, yeah, Zingers were Dolly Madison cakes, right? Yeah, now they're Hostess Zingers. Mm. I'm like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what those are. But I think Little good. Debbie still survives. Oatmeal cream pies aren't what they used to be, though. No. How about the Star Crunch? Are you a Star Crunch fan? Um, I could get on board with a with a Star Crunch. I, I would yeah. choose a fudge round over a Star Crunch. But again, I don't think those are what they used to be either. <laughs> All it's right. For the best. That is the snack pie portion of our show today. <laughs> hey, Damon, what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog this week? No snack cake content, but we do have uh, a couple test drive reviews. We've got a gallery review of the uh, 2022 Toyota Avalon. We can pour one out for that car since 2022 yeah. is its last model year. Great vehicle, too. Uh, just so people good. aren't buying big cars anymore. Uh, yeah. So it's a nice kind of swan song for that. We've also got a test drive gallery on the Subaru Ascent Onyx Edition. Mm -hmm. Onyx Edition denotes a blackout trim level that Subaru is uh, jumping on board with everybody else doing blackout trim editions these days. But this particular test vehicle is in a particularly lovely color, in my eyes, called Autumn Green Metallic. Uh, very nice Subaru-esque outdoorsy color, though. Tom, you and I were just talking the other day about how Ascent has not really been accepted into the Subaru fold of owners that put kayaks on top of their wagons. <laughs> no, no, kayaks or kayak-shaped storage uh, bins. Have you seen yeah. those? They're on a lot, mm -hmm. of, a lot of outbacks. No, the, the Ascent does not seem to be a full-fledged uh, Subaru for some reason. Yeah, it might be too <laughs> big. It might be too big for the uh, kind of tree-hugging outdoor types that would... Uh, most be inclined to get a Subaru and put a kayak on top of it. Well, so I, I would argue that the people who would get the kayak could probably fit it inside the vehicle because it's a three-row car, so you're not seeing them <laughs> on top because they're probably already inside. But then where, thought are of put, that. where are you going to put the people that... Well, you just have two. And then they've got all their camping gear and everything in the back, the you know front and, or the middle and the back rows folded flat. That, that's, that's my story. You just don't see it because it's already inside. Mm, All right. Okay. We're going to call that a theory. Uh, 
Uh, and then we have uh, Tom. You did an article called "What Is Bright Drop," um, and that the answer to that, in short, is uh, a new company uh, started by General Motors that is pure electric delivery vans and cargo delivery solutions. Yeah, interesting company, and and if you reach out to their PR people, as I have done, they're a little bit guarded about what's going on there. Um, it's, it's super unclear how they're going to distribute these vehicles, but they made it clear that this is a business-to-business operation, and these aren't available retail, and they're probably not going near, as I can tell, through a normal franchise system, hmm. um, which is interesting. And they've got two vehicles on the docket, right? A large delivery truck about the size of a Sprinter, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter, a medium-sized one that's a little bit bigger than you might expect, and then this really cool thing that is an electric delivery cart, uh, designed to take product from or to the truck and to the end customer. Really an interesting company. They've got product going out immediately. They've got contracts already. It's all been very quiet and hush-hush, but they've got contracts already with FedEx and with Walmart. So this is happening, and I think that part of the reason that this company is is set up the way it is is because they intend to take it public at some point. Hmm. Good-looking trucks, though. Yeah, I, I get kind of a Blade Runner vibe off them in a good way. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them. I'm sure uh, one way or the other, Amazon Prime delivery trucks, eventually we'll start seeing them uh, make their way out into our neck of the woods. Probably will. And I'm also working to get someone from Bright Drop to join us on the podcast. So look forward to that. Cool. Anything else? Uh, just really quick, I think we're running out of time, but we got a we are. future collectible uh, write-up of a great vehicle, Hot Hatch, the Hyundai Veloster N. Hot rod version of Hyundai's uh, compact three-door hatchback. So check that out, too. All right, guys, guess what we did? Out of time. Had out a good time. day. We had a good show. That's what we did. <laughs> Go team. Woo. All right. Big thanks this week to Dave Sloan and Ed Gliss. We're glad you guys joined us. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Damon. <laughs> thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AMA 20 in Chicago. And a special shout out to my friends and mentors, Steve and Johnny. If you want to be added to the Car Stuff podcast, and you do, uh, drop us a note at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right. Let's talk more about cars again next week.